We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a take away from an FA Cup tie against lower division opposition, but I think we can say this. Depending on the trajectory of the club, we'd have a chance to win League One. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, look, things seem bleak at times, but I think what we learned in this FA Cup tie at Pompey is that should we be relegated twice we could probably come back up to the championship. And uh, that's because we beat Portsmouth 2-0 in the FA Cup to advance to the next round. Uh, Restore some good feeling, I think you could say, after what was uh, a devastating defeat uh, in the Europa League, and we, we covered that at length <clears throat> on a couple of podcasts, one on Patreon and one for everybody, so if you haven't checked those out, uh, don't, because it's miserable. Uh, so here's the good news. The good news is we are going to put out a fantastic podcast today. The bad news is Clive is not involved, but I implore you to please stick around regardless, because Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo. Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, so look, we discussed this ahead of time, and I think we all agree. The, the individual incidents in this game are probably not something that we really need to pour over. I don't think we need to go through the game uh, chronologically because as as a contest goes, it wasn't maybe the most interesting. I think much more interesting here is the ability to discuss um, the performances of some of the young kids, some of the players that we have big questions over and big interest in, and really maybe get a chance to be a little more granular on those individual performances than we would in a game that had a little more excitement, a little more um, eventfulness that we'd have to dive into. Intrigue. Intrigue, yeah. So I, I think we can start by just getting this out of the way. Mike Dean is a see you next Tuesday, right? We all agree. Um, he's the worst. I think it is kind of weird that he is like both one of the most celebrated celebrity refs and also clearly one of the worst refs. So it's just, it's not a good combination. The irony of him booking Matteo Ganduzzi for the thing he loves most, which is like wild gesticulation and, and theatrics is, you know, not lost on most of us, but there it is. So that's the Mike Dean discussion. Thankfully, I, I think Torreira will be okay. We don't have enough information, I think, to judge that. So we probably won't dive into that too much. Tim, let's kick it off with the performance of the match, the man of the match, and that's Reese Nelson. It is really interesting because we know that Arteta likes Reese Nelson and rates Reese Nelson because he was playing Reese Nelson over Pepe when um, when he first arrived as Arsenal coach. So I'm curious to get your take on whether this performance by Nelson may be enough to elevate him beyond Pepe once again, and just overall how you felt about uh, how he performed on the day. Um, I don't think in and of itself it will be enough, but um, it's another data point. It's it's a, a tick in his box, certainly. 
I, I thought he performed really well. Um, I've, I've said a few times recently, I've kind of come round to him quite a lot and I've, I've just got this feeling that um, he's he's going to take to Arteta. And uh, I, I know Andrew and James had like a good discussion about this actually on the on the Ask Cast Extra today about like a, the young players really taking to Arteta and him taking to them as well because they're kind of unspoiled lumps of clay. And he's created this democracy where he basically says, I don't care who you are. If you work hard, you've got a good chance to play. Um, and they've kind of you know that's that's lit their eyes up a little bit but but the reason i thought he really fitted in um to be honest is because we know that pepe's had this issue where um basically you know arteta like a lot of managers wants one of his attackers to hold the width and one to come in and mm. what he's got is pepe and abamyang who both want to come in and so pepe's kind of been uh, relegated, I guess, for want of a better word, to that guy who's holding the width of the pitch, and it doesn't suit him. It does. It's not what he wants to do, and not only that, but he's very left-footed, so it doesn't really. And he's got no overlap because we don't overlap the right back, so so it just really, really doesn't work that much for Pepe. Whereas with Nelson, I think Nelson is a much more naturally chalk on the boots kind of wide player. The fact that he's right-footed as well, um, you know, came into Came, you know, came in very handy on both of the goals. I, I think in fairness as well, um, you know, he had a little bit more to aim at. I think in Ketia, particularly on the second goal, I think in Ketia, and we saw this from his goal against Everton, he's much more likely to go and try and attack a cross than Lacazette is. Lacazette isn't really a player that attacks crosses. He, he wants the cut back. Um, and Nelson, you know, I haven't seen Nelson do like the cutback too often, but mm. he can, he can get a good ball in on his right foot. So I think this was set up quite nicely for him. Um, I, I think that as much as I don't think that quite gets him ahead of Pepe yet, I think that's, that's food for thought for the manager. If he's thinking, uh, and, I, and I'm sure he knew this already that Nelson's probably more suited to Pepe's role than Pepe. It's just Pepe's more talented, um, and there, there's there's something to weigh up there. Um, so yeah, I, I I thought he was excellent. I you know I think you've got to take into account uh, the opposition, and not only was it League One opposition, it was heavily rotated League One opposition because mm-hmm. uh, Portsmouth made six changes because BT moved this to a Monday night and made their schedule um, <laughs> a lot worse. Um, something to bear in mind for TV companies when you're like when you're trying to promote your own products. Perhaps don't shit on the teams um, who are taking part in it. Maybe they won't play their reserves if you don't put the games at stupid times. But um, that's going to fall on deaf ears certainly. So um, yeah, I, I I thought he was a real standout, and not just for the two assists for the goals. I thought um, I I thought in. <laughs> Maybe in the first half, I thought he was maybe a little bit isolated out on the right-hand side. But as the game opened up a bit, I, I thought he was uh, I, I thought he was a very good outlet for us. Yeah, he, he showed a little more burst than I think he had previously, mm. which was good to see. Uh, you know, by the way, to your point about um, shitting on teams and making it difficult for them to play their, their full-strength side in the Cup, I think it's always interesting that when the narrative around um, disrespecting the Cup comes up, it's always the big club disrespecting the cup. It's never the little clubs, despite the fact that a lot of times the smaller clubs are the ones who are rotating to prioritize a, a promotion campaign. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's true for everybody playing in the cup at this time of the year. And, and Paul, I touched on something that I, I think is important with the Nelson conversation, which is I think that what I'd seen a lot from Nelson prior to this was a functional player, a player who could operate within the system, was clean in possession, did the work defensively. I feel your brother. Yeah, and and while that's great, you know, what I wanted to see was a little more precociousness, right? A little more of what Saka's shown, a little more burst, a little more athleticism, a, a little more of the special sauce that, that makes you think yeah. someone has a higher ceiling. And again, level of competition notwithstanding, I just thought athletically and in terms of sort of his dynamism, this was a slightly different performance than maybe what we've seen from him. I know he had the two assists. I don't know that either one of those in and of themselves are, are the spectacular moments of the game, but I just think overall he showed um, more excitement in his game. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, so um, like you and maybe a little bit like Tim, I wasn't quite sure what a 
Reese Nelson was really before. I mean, we saw him during the summer and uh, I've watched as much as you can watch online of, of the youth teams coming up. And, you know, I've seen a bit of him there. I saw we all saw a bit of him at Hoffenheim, but I still wasn't quite sure what he was. Um, I just thought he was a bit meh, like pretty good. But when he'd arrive in the Premier League, he'd just, you know, everybody be faster, bigger, uh, better organized against him. And he'd just kind of float away. But and under Emery, it seemed to be his trajectory a little bit in that, to be fair to Emery, he gave a lot of young players uh, opportunities and starts. I don't think he did too many of them that that many favors from a a coaching and system standpoint and even a confidence standpoint. So I thought Nelson under Emery was maybe a little better than I expected after preseason, but still nothing to move the needle. And under uh, under Arteta here, he's really starting to make sense. And I, I guess I'm getting a much better feeling of why Nelson's a factor for us. I think he's a really good system player. He's really intelligent and clued in and he he connects the dots and like you see players like a Nasri or a um uh you know uh, a Rizitsky mm. or a player like that who maybe doesn't have all of the straight line speed the physicality all the goal threat but they're dangerous and they connect they're super connectors aware of what to do over on that wing side and they'll take it to the byline or they'll cut inside. Um, he definitely showed some pace in this game. I mean, he uh, he put his fullback to the sword, but maybe his fullback is not the world's greatest fullback full facing him. Um, I thought he was really interesting in this um, and has been under Arteta. I mean, he hasn't played for seven weeks, um, which is kind of something in itself that he comes back this lit up. Um and, you know, he's you always like par- passing stats. He was 93 percent passing. Mm. Again, there's a, the opposition factor here, but basically nobody did better than that apart from maybe Ganduzi. And uh, he had the cross into Martinelli that he f- fired that was just behind Martinelli. It was almost <clears throat> goal worthy material. And, you know, his laser for Socrates um, was you know, it was eye-catching. He was taking the set pieces, the corners from that side. Um, and, like, he just seems like a really good Arteta player. And, and you know, City play with, with wingers who run, in, who run to the byline mm. uh, frequently. So I think he'll, he'll take advantage of that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, the other stat I'll just throw in, yeah, 13 please. crosses, mm-hmm. nine more than anybody else. And City bang in a bunch of crosses when they need to. So... And he didn't waste any of them. They all look like good, intelligent crosses. Sorry. No, well, because all I was going to say, Paul, is you had me thinking about something also that, that Tim brought up, which is, you know, Pepe is very left-footed, and he wants to cut inside on his left foot and either mm. curl in an in-swinging ball or, you know, shoot for that upper left corner of the, of the goal. And on the left side, the left-sided fullback provides the depth to the attack, right? Because Saka overlaps Aubameyang, and he provides the depth to the attack, and Aubameyang runs into the box. On the right side, the fullback is not overlapping, so the right winger has to provide the depth, and Pepe doesn't want to do that because more naturally for him is to cut inside. Nelson will provide the depth. He will push it to the byline and and cut back from there and cross from there. And I almost wonder, you know, I think our front three is still an unfinished puzzle to some extent, and if you want to try to get Aubameyang into the center-forward position, at, you know, at least occasionally, maybe, to see to see how that works... I almost wonder if you could push Pepe to left wing and let him try to drive to the byline a little more and and deliver the ball from deeper. You know, maybe take away from him that natural inclination to cut inside and curl in a shot. Now, to be fair, I I think that end product can come for Pepe, but you could see a Pepe Nelson and Aubameyang front line. I also think you could play uh, Pepe centrally um, and make room for Nelson that way. But you have a final thought on that, Paul? Yeah, so uh, I do think they kind of conflict. I think it's kind of one or the other. Uh, maybe uh, Nelson can play from the left too, obviously as a cut-in, um, as he as he builds his confidence. But he's looked best from the right. I th- think the one thing that stood out for me in this game, and Arteta talked him about, talked about him being very good one v one, is he was very good one v one. He has an unusual thing I haven't seen 
uh, in too many players. That ability to kind of, he's, he, he's running forward, but he's kind of drifting left and right and putting the defender off his step. And you just don't know. He could go either way at any time. And it's it's delicious to watch his dribbling and the pressure he puts on the defender against him. He can he can take you either side and the defender knows it. And like that's what every mm. uh, dribbler would like to do. But he has I think that's a little bit of a superpower. I think the the crosses are seem to be laser. And if you can keep that going, that's you know, you're notching up his superpowers here. He's no longer meh or pretty good or, or very good. He's got some things he does uniquely well, potentially. And I think the accuracy and the quality and his decision-making as he gets into that final third into the box and his ability, he, he almost kind of hovers. To, will he take you on one side or the other? Has defenders mm. crossing their legs and getting caught. So I, I think he could be very, very interesting going forward. Yeah, we uh, in the Discord. There's a, a a patron named Carrier Pigeon. He actually just changed his handle to Lewis, but I assume his real name is Carrier Pigeon, um, <laughs> who's just obsessed with Nelson and adores him. And uh, I have to admit that exposure to his viewpoint is is causing me to be more of a Nelson stan than maybe I was naturally. I still think it's Pepe's spot. I still think it has to be Pepe's spot. I still think the danger Pepe can create is greater. But I certainly think this game gave me a window into a more dynamic and exciting Nelson than I'd seen before. And I think, Tim, look, the Academy giveth and the Academy taketh away. It is tough. There is a tendency with all the Academy kids, and not and not a bad tendency, a natural, normal, healthy tendency to want to love them all, believe in them all, have patience with them all, and trust them all to make it and become superstars. Tim, mm. I do not think Joe Willick is going to be a superstar. Um, mm. I don't want to kill the kid, but like... I don't see it, and I, I, I don't see it to the point where I think that Mikel Arteta has maybe made a mistake this season in, in trusting Willock to the extent that he has, and, and that extends to Emery as, as well. And I realize there must be something there that they see. that He's a player who's been trusted a lot, who kind of went from nowhere to suddenly being part of the plan. And I think some of his athleticism carrying the ball forward is very exciting and intriguing, but I think he gets too many basic things wrong, and certainly in the final third, which can be tough for all young players, but slow to make decisions and not clean with his decision-making. Let me give you something from Scott's by the numbers column that he did for our blog. Uh, 21 total turnovers, led all players. 29.6%, mm. the percentage of his total touches that ended up with him giving the ball away. So about a third of the time he touched it, he gave it away. 67% pass completion. The expected passing model expected an average player to complete 84%. One shot, one key pass, nine progressive carries, which is good. Four successful dribbles, led Arsenal, good. Had some tackles, some block passes, clearances, and ball recoveries. I just, I'm not really sure that he's he's value for the playing time right now. And I think you look at mm. Smith Rowe sort of thriving in his loan and a player who looks like he has a very high ceiling and and could really be a part of our future. I I don't see, based on what I've seen from Willick right now, that he is ready to be in the first team. And I'm curious to get your take on whether you're you're prepared to say next season is a loan season for him or maybe a move for him or what, what the future holds. And if you're as sort of um, concerned about where he's headed as I am. Yeah, I am. Um, so I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I like, I like, I quite like, I was thinking this last night watching him. I like, I like the idea of Joe Willock by, by which I mean, I think he adds things that, that nobody else really adds at least into, or sorry, um, he has attributes that nobody else really has. Particularly well, it's a progressive with carries, his... right? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And and actually, he was picking up really, really good pockets of space um, and getting the ball on the turn and and turning them and and. But just the execution just wasn't there, I, as the statistics you just you just quoted uh, kind of suggest. There was just too many, you know, and it wasn't. It was like those weren't necessarily because he was trying the difficult pass or because he was trying a through ball. It was quite often it was just fairly routine, or he was he was just falling over. Mm. Um, and and I was I was watching him last night and I was thinking I that that's I really want a player like that there, but just better. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. No. And, I, that that makes sense, right? I mean, someone can yeah. have the attributes you're looking for, 
but just not be at the but quality the of what you need. Yeah, exactly. He, he's the <laughs> yeah. best player of his type we have, if you define the type. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not quite ready to like completely give up on him yet, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, if if you know, because things can change quickly, and you know, a couple of good games, and you know, I I probably turn turn everyone around on the subject. Um, but you know, let, let's say like toward to, until the end of the season, he he doesn't really pick up, and this is kind of more or less the perform the, the level of performance we see from him. I, I wouldn't be absolutely shoveling him out the door, but if there was interest, I'd probably be thinking, particularly in our financial situation where we're going to have to make some brutal decisions. I mean, that, that wouldn't be a brutal decision, I don't think. If we got a good offer, I think you can kind of say, yeah, okay, thanks. Um, you know, but we'll we'll kind of get you out the door. We'll use the money, and like you say, there's Smith Rowe there as well. We'll have a look at him, and and actually, I think Smith Rowe's more likely uh, to kind of make that or if not make that position position his own feature in that position. I mean, my my thoughts about the academy players are always l- like what they've always been, which is that they're just ideal squad fodder, mm. and if one or two of them becomes any more of that than that brilliant i just think it's a a really cost effective and sensible way to fill out um some of the squad positions um and but with that still comes a fair amount of turnover and i was having this discussion online today actually because no matter who you buy as or who you have as your squad backup basically your backup players there should be a churn there because you don't want guys sitting around like if after three or four seasons the person you've got as the kind of squad deputy hasn't forced their way into the team then a they should be thinking about moving on and if they're not then it's probably because they're they're not ambitious enough um kieran gibbs Hmm. um for example um and and but if also if they don't, you as a club should be saying, well, do you know what? Okay, we've had you in the squad for three or four years. You're probably not going to get any better playing ten to fifteen games a season. It's not good for us. It's not good for you. Thank you and goodbye. Like probably what's going to happen to Maitland Niles, for mm. example. That that to me, that to me is totally fine. He came in. He did a job. He filled um, a spot for us that needed filling because we had injured fullbacks. We've, you know, we've restocked in that position and he's probably going to go in the summer and we're probably going to get good money for him and we'll move on. And that to me is absolutely fine. That is fine. That is not because Maitland-Niles is a wanker or a failure. It's not because Arteta's an idiot. It's, that's just what should happen. That's just, you know, you've had a few years. You've had like a lot of games now. You're probably not going to be our starting right back ever and you're probably not going to be our starting central midfielder so you know thanks you've done a job for a couple of years we'll move you on we'll take the money we'll go with something else and and so if that ends up happening to Willock like I say like I'd maybe give it another year um and unless like a really good offer comes in but I I get the feeling that that's probably where this is going then again, I said that about Enketia not long ago, and and I've been I've been pretty impressed by him. Again, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be Arsenal's starting number nine. I, I'm looking at him now and thinking, yeah, he's you know that's that's good backup. And again, the same thing might happen to him in two years' time. He might, you know, we might just turn him over. But that's that that's all kind of fine. That's yeah. absolutely fine. So I'm not I'm not exercised about Joe Willock. Um, I'm not worried. I just kind of think he's doing a squad job and if he can't do more than that, then maybe this time next year we say, all right, thanks. You're 22 now. You need to play and we need to move on. And that, and that's all fine. Yeah. And by the way, like as fans, I think we should remember what the goals are here because it's easy to forget when you're sitting mid table and you're out of the Europa league and you're not winning anything. The goal is to win the premier league, to win the champions league. That is the stature of the club we support. And so like, There's nothing wrong with saying a kid might not be at the level to be a regular starter for a team of that caliber. But if we ever want to be a team of that caliber again, we have to have, I think, accurate assessments of our players, a willingness to recognize that even some of the good players we like aren't good enough. Alex Awobi, lovely player, did Mm. not have the ceiling 
to do at Arsenal what Arsenal needs to do. Yep. And I think him clearing out has made room to some extent for a Saka to come in. I mean, you could argue no, it hasn't because yep. Saka's playing left back. But like, I don't think there's anybody listening to this podcast who's going to say that Saka isn't a better player than a Wobi with a higher ceiling. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I look at a Joe Willick and I say, it's not that I hate Joe Willick and I think he sucks. It's that I don't see a player who can be a guy who should regularly start or really regularly play at, at the uh, level that Arsenal is. And, you know, to be clear, Tim, just, just to make this point again, what I think makes Willick hard for some people is the delta between his high moments and his low moments is really big. What I mean is he will have an mm. eye-catching drive through midfield that has you sitting up in your seat going, wow, there's something there. But in between those moments, just the standard of his passing, his decision-making, his uh, recovery runs defensively, which, by the way, I think are not up to snuff, his his final ball, like that stuff is all poor. So do you, do you think, just as a last comment there, that maybe... It is the fact that once or twice a game he will do something eye-catching and that sticks in the memory and maybe overstates his quality because the rest of the stuff is, a sad sad to say, you know, not up to the level required. Yeah, I mean, I compare him to Diaby for a reason. Um, <laughs> Don't let Clive hear you say that, for God's sake. <laughs> I think you've just kind of described Abu Diaby uh, in in my view. Anyway, mm. um, I you know, I don't, to be fair... I. I do think Abu Dhabi, if he could have put it all together more often, did have a really high ceiling. I just don't think he he never gave me the impression he quite had the the, the wherewithal to do that. But um, yes, yeah, absolutely. And look, like you know, like we say, <laughs> we just kind of joked that he's the best in the squad with his attributes, and he kind of is. But it's because he's the only one. And actually, kind of, you're right. We're mixing in the whole like feeling the attachment to the academy player, but it's also because he's just the type of player, a, a bit like Iwobi. And you know, Iwobi was the type of player that we needed. But like you say, he just wasn't. It just didn't quite have that ceiling. Mm. Um, and you know, Iwobi would have made a fine squad player. I think, you know, fine for 10 to 15 games a season, but that's not what he was. He was playing in every game to some extent. Yeah. Um, and, and like you say, I, I don't think I ever see Joe Willock getting there. I, like, I think the lesson from this is we need a player like Joe Willock, but better. I, th- yeah. I think that's, and then, you know, perhaps next year, Joe Willock can understudy this midfield unicorn we find with the, two million pounds that we've got to spend in the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. And go from there. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. look, I think Awobi's a great example of a player we all really liked and had a lot of affection for. I don't think anybody's sitting here saying he's pulling up trees at Everton. You know, I don't think he's, I don't think he's kicked on. I don't think we're kicking ourselves. A lot of times with these players, we feel affection for them. They move on and you realize, you know what? Best for all parties involved. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, one of the problems here, Paul, too, just realistically for Willick and any of these guys we just have way too many squad roles right now being filled by academy kids. And I think that's tough on the academy kids because a healthy balance for a team that should have the ambitions we do, I think, is a first 11 that is mostly comprised of seasoned, experienced professional footballers. Um, you know, maybe there's an academy kid who's so talented on the fringe of the squad that, that he breaks in the first 11. But by and large, you should be talking to players. 23, 24 and up, you know, and and maybe there's an academy kid floating around the edge of that. And then maybe you have two other academy kids who are getting in there for sub appearances, cup appearances, things like that. But we've got Maitland Niles, who's made a lot of appearances, and Kedia, who's making a lot of appearances, Nelson, who's making a lot of appearances, Willock, who's making a lot of appearances. We've got young kids like Genduzzi and Martinelli making a lot of appearances. Obviously, Saka deservedly making a lot of appearances. And I think you stack all of that on top of each other. And it's it's too much. And kids are naturally going to be inconsistent. And then, to make it worse, they're having to play in a lot of games where a lot of them are playing at once. So they don't have the benefit of being surrounded by some of that you know, more elite, more experienced talent. And that just makes it a tough situation, I think, for any of them to thrive. Um, you know, I do wonder if Willick struggles with that. You look at, you know, he's got Genduzzi behind him, and he's got Nelson next to him, and he's got Saka or, you know, Martinelli next to him, and Enkedia in front of him, and you say... It's not like he's getting carried through the game by seasoned pros. So I, I do think that's a caveat for some of these guys that they're having to come in and basically play, you know, with a U twenty squad against professional teams. But yeah, we had seven hundred twenty threes in this, which is great. Um, it's a credit to us, you which know. Which is great. But but I mean, as a result, you know, what would Willick look like playing with? 
Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, you know, Shaka, Ceballos. I mean, it might be different. It yeah, might it means not. you lack some structure. You lack some spacing. Uh, you lack game management and those kinds of things. Which, exactly. When things are going great, great. But when when we're struggling to get hold of a game, to get the rhythm of the game, um, players, you know, we may look a little underpowered. I, I, I think Willock, uh, again, has a couple of unusual properties. I mean, his athleticism is excellent. When he, when he, when we're on the counter and he pulls away with, with the ball, um, if he goes past a player, that player ain't coming back. Um, his final third decision-making needs to improve drastically. And we also haven't seen him do that other thing, the Ramsey thing of getting into the box and onto the, on the end of the ball, um, which he was somewhat prized for earlier in the season. I think why he started playing a more advanced midfield role. Um, so while I agree with what you lads are saying on Willock, um, I think there's, I don't think he's just average. I think he's got some real issues in terms of quality um, it, uh, in terms of his passing and the final ball that if it can be addressed, I don't know if that's, it's partly coachable, coachable. I don't know if it's totally coachable. I still think he's not average. He's a mix of really good uh, and really poor quality. Yeah, that, that's my making. point I made earlier where I said yeah. the, the delta between the good stuff he does and then everything else he's doing at a poor level is, is too big. Like from your yeah. professionals, I, I think you need you need to have more predictability in the performance you're going to get from them. You know, if I was a coach, a guy like Willick would drive me nuts because – I just don't know what I'm yeah. getting from him. It's possibly why Pepe's hard to select for coaches because similarly they, they don't, much like Pepe, I don't think anybody knows what you're going to get from him. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely got a huge issue with consistency. It was interesting what Arteta said on Inkati about, he said he was phenomenal, uh, great work rate, which Willock shares, um, but he had the rhythm going into pressing, which I thought was very interesting that he sees an intelligence there on the pressing and how he goes about it. Can I can so, I push back on something there though? I see that. Yeah. I don't think Willick's work or it is good. I think it's terrible. And this is one of the things that really disappoints me with him as a player. I, I think given his athleticism, I think his concentration. He, well, but the extent to which he jogs back defensively and doesn't make aggressive recovery runs and doesn't, you know, doesn't really close down the angles. Yeah, that but, that so to me is, is that. a problem. Where he does have work rate is when he knows what we're doing. Like when his job is to press across their back line. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at look at him in the second half. He ran his fucking legs off. Um, but I, that's different to the he he doesn't switch on to the danger when we're out of possession, which is yeah, which is what I I kind of there was that moment early in the season where Emery was cheering on the sidelines. Uh, Willock lost the ball and then chased yep. back and had a delicious tackle. And the like Burnley game, yeah. maybe Burnley or New- Newcastle might be the first game of the season, even. Yeah, um, I think it was Newcastle. Um, anyway, he lit us up and he lit the crowd up and it was great and that's exactly what you wanted. But that was kind of it. We haven't. He has and the waste of it. You look at these young players and you think to yourself, Jesus, if I had your abilities, there's certain things that are under your control. That's under his control. Um, and he could be lighting it up in midfield, getting back, covering, uh, being the guy that rescues the team. I don't really get it. I've never played at that level, so maybe I don't know all the shit that's going on. But, man, he has the ability for recovering tackles that probably nobody else in the team has. The interesting contrast with him and Emile Smith-Rowe would be they could both play in that area of the pitch, but if you're looking for somebody with defensiveness, it ain't Emile Smith-Rowe. He is a guy who switches off when they lose the ball and think he's a bit like Ozil in that respect. He's waiting for the counter. When we lose the ball, he's thinking, oh, great, (laughs) we'll get it back in our third, they'll pop it to me, and then we'll go on the counter, so... I'm not sure we'll fix that problem in the summer. Mm. Um, I, I want to give you a chance, Paul, before we talk about some of the other kids to to talk about your your first love, Pablo Marie. Um, <laughs> so you got you finally got a chance to see him in action. Was it, it was it everything you hoped for? Uh, it was mostly what I hoped for. We, we didn't get to see him in a foot race going backwards because I I have my pet theory is he's actually fairly fast. Uh, I think we're 
he's maybe not as fast as we might like is he has that Mertesacker not super quick feet. I don't mean in terms of a sprint or traveling across the ground. He's just, he just has that kind of graceful, slow motion way of and against really quick, nippy players. I think occasionally he'll caught out. But, um, you know, he has the elegance of a giraffe moving across the savanna. Um, he had some delicious long balls. That's a yeah. Oh boy, um, <laughs> it's an unfortunate uh, so I th- turn. Of I phrase. think there were some, yeah. I think there were some significant things came out of this game. Um, Arteta could have started any number of of center back pairings, but he chose Luis to the right of Pablo Marie, which might mean nothing. Or if my suspicions are correct, that could be the quality center back pairing he's hoping to come to prove itself out for the rest of the season. Um, and they did quite well together because uh, the, the worry always for me with Marie was that he'd be coming into the Luis spot and Luis was relatively undroppable given his seniority and leadership within the team. But I think Arteta was trying out something significant here. I think the other significant thing is uh, Sabayas again starting in midfield and Gunduzi matching up and uh, okay it's Portsmouth but doing well in this encounter um, obviously Chaka is going to come back into the frame but Torreira could be out for a while the way he limped off so I think it was interesting to see that particular lineup in midfield and it doing well and Sabayas kind of holding things down it's interesting that he said Socrates was moaning about right back which he said somewhat lovingly um, about having to play there uh, and we know that face Socrates has, but Socrates has also made comments about where his future is in the, the summer if he's not been played. So I think his moaning has a little bit more to do with not playing center back than playing right back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that right, that center back pairing may not be significant in the end. Yeah. I'd be happy for Socrates to play his preferred position at center back for another club. Um <laughs> I still quite like him, but I think he's horrifically bad. We've I seen think he's a terrible, no, terrible, terrible player. Yeah, yeah. But just, just to but, be clear. Oh, I, uh, thanks for prompting me. So mm. yesterday, Elliot put in his WhatsApp his preferred eleven of the oh, of the season going forward. He picked Mustafi. It was wonderful. I, did. I didn't know what else to do. There's nobody else to pick. Well, maybe it's Marine now. You I mean, do Tim, not need to explain yourself. I, I can't believe I'm about to ask the question this way. Did Marie do enough to take Mustafi's place in the first team? <laughs> um, I, I mean, again, we're, we're not there yet, and uh, Portsmouth left out their their two top scorers this season, um, but. I think the intention, I, I think that's the intention. I st- I'm still not convinced Mustafi has much of a future beyond this summer because he's going to have one year left on his contract. So Arsenal have got a choice between selling him or renewing his contract. And I think they'll sell him, particularly with the volume of centre-halves they have. Um, albeit, I think a few might go, because I think Socrates will go. I think, That'd be um, a shame. Hate to see him go. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's quite clear that Arteta, you know, I think, largely probably because of his passing and and Marie has very very good passing and off his left foot and it opens up the pitch a little bit um and and the because the thing is right Marie does the things that the reason the stuff has been kind of brought into the team is that distribution point now Pablo Marie has that um, and he does that kind of, he engages he, he's a very like hands-on defender he likes like you know getting in the striker's shorts and having that kind of close contact. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's very, um, I know he, he's built like Perma to Saka, but he doesn't really play like him. He, or he, run like him to be the, fair. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he's not, he's not like the drop off one. He, he likes kind of, um, he likes engaging with attackers and he likes defending, but you know, you, you've seen already, he can really ping the ball off of that left foot. Um, and that that just gives Arsenal another another angle um, to go from, and and he's quite good at moving into that kind of left back space because that's what he did at Flamengo, who played Felipe Luis there, and he pushes up and runs up that flank all day, so he's very used to covering that side. Uh, and and I think this was probably the first part of a trial run for him, and I I think the intention is that 
Pablo Marie does displace Mustafi, whether it's uh, now or, or certainly next season. I, I think that's probably what he's got in mind. Um, and, and you know, this this was a decent first audition for that. I, I don't think, you know, what's our next game Saturday at West Ham? I still think Mustafi will play um, and Marie will probably be on the bench for that. But, you know, again, a, a bit like Reese Nelson, it's it's another data point. Um, same for Inketia, it's another data point. It's another kind of, yep, okay, I can I can trust this guy, I think, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to drop the other guy just yet. But it it nudges him a little bit closer. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I know I just savaged Socrates uh, on this podcast, but I want you all to thank me because it was my savaging of him in Discord throughout the. Uh, first half of the game that led to him uh, scoring quite brilliantly, uh, just smashing it into the back of the net after I'd done nothing but spend about 40 minutes roasting him in Discord. So, well done, Elliot. You, hey, I do it for the people. My jinxing, my superpower is jinxing things. But if I can use it for, for good, if I can use those powers for good, then why not? Tim, I'll stay with you just for a second. Um, let's just get this done. Look, I never want to see Socrates at right back again. I don't think too many people are anxious to see Socrates at right back. Uh, again, despite the fact that he did score the opening goal. Um, it just It's just another reminder, I think, of where Maitland-Niles is in, in the pecking order and what his future likely holds. And I just want to get your thoughts on the Maitland-Niles thing just real quick because finally James Benj uh, yielded to fan pressure and asked Arteta <laughs> about it. And Arteta was very pointed that he, his ad, he needs to want it. He needs to want to give everything to play for Arsenal. And you could say, well, that's good. You know, he's he's handling a disciplinary issue. He's forcing him to earn the playing time. That's what he should do. But what I would point and, to... And Wenger said something very similar in the past about uh, Maitland-Niles could be really good if he bothers himself. Yeah, and, and that's right. And what I will say is, Ganduzi had a disciplinary issue. He was back in the team shortly thereafter. Arteta made some comments about not being thrilled with Ceballos' fitness. He was in the team not too long after. This is a long time now, I feel like, that Maitland-Niles has been frozen mm. out by Arteta. So either the turnaround isn't happening or he just doesn't see it with this player. But I think given how poor Socrates was in his previous right-back outing and given that he got the start again in that position um, and Maitland-Niles got on for two minutes in stoppage time at the end of an FA mm. Cup tie that was won against a League One team, like, are, are we okay here to jump to the conclusion that this is not going to turn around? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like like you say, it's happened to other players. They've turned it around quite quickly. This has been several weeks with Maitland-Niles now. And actually, even more, um, should we say, for, from Maitland-Niles' point of view, grave than that, we've actually bought another right back, um, which tells well, you... Well, lo- loaned one, right? I mean... Well, loaned one, yeah, yeah. rather, still, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So that, that that's a pretty emphatic step even on loan that's a you know that that tells you that the manager never because Maitland-Niles was playing at the beginning of January right so the beginning of January is playing and not playing poorly really I mean yeah 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 so this is a two and a half month issue if anything basically from the start of Arteta's reign uh, to have gotten that loan in that quickly in in January he's he's been concerned even while playing well uh, yep. It's not his abilities. It's not his performance. It's how he carries himself off the pitch. Yep, precisely, precisely. Because he picked him for his first like four games or something. Yeah. He played him against Manchester United and Chelsea. He obviously thought highly enough of him. Like you said, like there's no way, right? He thinks Socrates is a better right back than Maitland Niles. Like he doesn't think that. Otherwise, he'd have done it from the beginning. I don't think anyone actually thinks that. This this is a message, and this message is not necessarily linked to performance. And yeah, I I think the fact that he's loaned another right back, um, you know, I I think that tells you everything you need to know. And whether Suarez stays at Arsenal or not. That that tells you that um, even if he doesn't, that a right back is very much on the shopping list, and that's the end of Maitland Niles. I I think this would be some turnaround. Now this would be like almost Coquelin level turnaround um, mm. if if he's still at the club next season. Yeah, and- I mean Maitland Niles has that really interesting mum. And I, I <laughs> but that that has been bring- an issue for a while. I mean, to be fair, she's been out of the. My understanding is that he kind of. Yeah, separated but, from her right but, I mean yeah but exactly I mean your mom's never out of the picture even if she yeah. uh, and I don't really want to get in I'm no, just saying it, yeah, it's private uh, and personal he, it's very sad honestly. it is 
but but we've always had this sense of Maitland Niles kind of been there mentally and kind of not been there, and I just think this is kind of his focus. I I just think it's he finds profe- professionalism difficult because there's just too much stuff. Paul, you know what sucks is that. Yeah. And, and to be fair, look, Willick, I is, love him. Willick is 20 and Maitland Niles is 22, so take this with a pinch of salt. But yeah. I think Maitland Niles, talent-wise, is ahead of some of the young players who are getting sure. playing time. So that's yeah. what sucks, is that if you said to me, you know, Maitland Niles is going to play 25 games next season or Willick is going to play 25 games next season and the other one's going to be sold, I'd say, give me the 25 games from Maitland Niles. I don't want that from Willick. I don't think he's ready for it. So... It is a bit of a shame. And and look, there are some people that have, have reached out to me on, on Twitter and stuff and said, maybe he just told Arteta he doesn't want to play right back. He wants to play through the middle. Or he wants to play you know, on the right wing. Mm. That's yeah. insanity. If you are a yeah. 22-year-old academy kid on the fringe of the first team who hasn't played much and your only path to regular playing time for a big club is right back, you fucking play right back because it's a career. I mean, yeah. he's never starting in midfield. He's never starting at right wing. So the idea that he would, that a 22-year-old fringe first teamer would demand to play in any position is insane. That That's not happening. And if it did happen, he's getting some really, really bad advice. I mean, Obama Yang, I'm a sure. a position that is now one of the most exciting and interesting yes, in football. good point. Not, really good point. It's not, it's not imitate Nigel Winterburn, no, no offense. No, look what Zach is doing. He's playing like yeah. a de, you know, de facto forward. And, and you know, look, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is one of the elite strikers in all of world football. He's playing on the left wing, and he's wearing an armband doing it, and he's mainly doing it because that's what the coach needs from him, not because it's the best thing for him. So, uh, yeah, that would be a shame if that's true for Maitland-Niles. Let's move on from him because I, I think the club has, to be fair, or, or is going to. And, um, Paul, stay with you just for a second. I... I you know, I don't know that there's much to talk about with Ginduzi. I thought this was a perfectly fine game, and in the second half, I thought he was really good. The the thing with Ginduzi is, you know, you love him, you hate him, you think he's, you know, a, a brat, and he is a brat. Let's face it, he is the brat of the team. But like, he's our brat. He's our brat. Yeah, and fuck Mike Dean right up his whatever <laughs> thing. I probably shouldn't say. I've already I've already said too Gunner much. Blog had a great comment <laughs> on that. You see that? Given yes. Ginduzi, a I'll paraphrase here. Given Ginduzi. A uh, a yellow card for flamboyant gesticulation, Mike yeah. Dean. Yeah, I mean that Jesus. that literally is how Mike Dean made a career. And so, but I mean, you look up and all of a sudden he's got the most touches in the team. He's playing the most passes. He's you know he's keeping things ticking over. And I just I think there is a linking of Genduzi to Emery that maybe is part of the reason why some people won't warm to him. He was very much front and center with the Emory era, era, very much a symptom and a sign of it, and that he was often bypassed defensively because at first he, he wasn't switched on that way. He, you know, he would complain a lot and gesticulate a lot and throw himself to the ground a lot. I mean, you know, he was he was what, eighteen when he arrived, nineteen, so it is what it is. But I, I just still see a player who I think the sky can be the limit. And I, I do struggle sometimes, Paul, because I think that he plays a position where determining superstardom is a little difficult, right? I mean, he's not hes not a dynamic goal-scoring, assist-providing central midfielder. He's not Aaron Ramsey, right? Um, he's not a go-to-ground and make a, a phenomenal sliding tackle, Francis Coughlin or Lucas Torreira. He's hes a ball progressor, and he does that really well. So I'm curious, did, did you like this game from him, and do you think that maybe we just need to take a deep breath and be patient with a guy who looks like he can be a long-term, reliable part of a functioning central midfield? Yeah, and I think the attitude's a big piece of it because his attitude on the pitch is spiky and turned on and positive. And even in games in which we're qu- quite a bit crap, he's gonna he, he chases that game right till the end just just for the the hell of it. Um, I think the other thing that's been key with his attitude, you know, there's two sides of the coin, and um, his attitude. When you see him in the squad or on the bench, he's always positive, upbeat. He doesn't look like he's thrown a moody. Um, it's like he kind of gets it. Um, so th- there's that dynamic tension. Uh, and maybe maybe he just has a sense of the trajectory of where he's going and it's going to be okay. And maybe he's had some really good conversations with Arteta because Arteta wants to get this right. And he's not in a rush to play him at all cost. Um, he's a really busy player on the pitch. Uh, so when he's when he's humming, will be humming, uh, covers the ground. But he needs that player who can kind of counterbalance that because 
it is, again, in terms of his superpower, his superpower is getting around the place. You don't want him nailed to the floor. That's not... That's not how he sees the map of the pitch. He moves to where the action is. He's busy. He gets on it. He imposes himself on the game. He he determines the character of the game um, in the engine room there. And you need somebody to balance him out. And I don't know that's always Chaka. I like it more with Torreira, who's now potentially injured for a while. And I think he's the better counterbalance to him. And maybe next year it'll be somebody else. Maybe we need that the DM that Arteta not just likes but loves to play alongside Ganduzi. And we just we got to be patient with Ganduzi. He's obviously under Arteta, he's no longer going to play every ga- game, but he's go- probably going to be playing a bit more now if Torreira is out for a few weeks. Uh, Ceballos is in the mix. Chaka seems the regular starter, so it seems like Chaka plus one of those two. Um, uh, uh, I know what you mean about the frustrations with Ganduzi. I, I think his challenge is that he can't totally shape a game on his own from midfield. And I don't know that we have the perfect partner for him. So it's kind of a double-edged sword when he plays. But, I mean, anybody who can't see that he's an eye for the game, he, he can drop, he can take the pressure. I do think he dallies a little too long when pressed or with his back to go, but he mostly pulls it off. Um, and maybe if Sabayas... I mean, Sabayas and, and Ganduzi in this game were fun to watch. I don't know how many senior games will get away with that pairing, though. But they ping the ball around. Yeah, I would say this, too. I mean, you know what disappointed me? Is when um, is when Willick came off late, Ceballos moved into that 10 position. Mm. Um, instead, So it was Shaq and Ganduzi deeper and, and Ceballos ahead of them. I know nobody yeah. agrees with me. Nobody on this podcast, nobody on Twitter, nobody on the earth. I still think Ganduzi could play better closer to goal. I think he can play the through Certainly ball. Certainly nobody play on the, the podcast ball. agrees right. with you. Yeah, I, I just would have loved to see even five minutes of him playing the Ozo Willick role. You know, I mean, I know Ozo and Willick couldn't be more oil and water, but I mean, that that role, that flitting between the lines, sliding from side, because Arteta has taken the reins off a little bit. Like you're seeing it with Ozo. He can go to either flank. He can drop in and help progress. He can get to the edge of the box and play one-twos. I think Ganduzi can do that. And I think if you free him of a little of the structural responsibility defensively of picking the ball up deep, having to be a little more secure with it and a little more careful, and let him be a little more enterprising, I I think it could work. But again, I am totally alone in that, and I'm never going to get to see it. So I can take that to my grave, hopefully, many, many, many years from now. Um... Okay, so Tim, as we start to wrap up, just uh, a couple more quick ones. We touched on Enkedia, but maybe just to follow up on this, I think we all had a bit of Enkedia skepticism, but if you keep playing and you keep scoring and the coach keeps picking you, that's really all you can ask for. Um, He looked good in this game. Again, caveats about the the caliber of the opposition notwithstanding, but given what we've seen from Lacazette recently, I think you kind of have to presume that the center forward role for right now continues to be Enkedia's, correct? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and uh, what a good decision it's proved to keep him, actually. I, I must admit, I was a bit confused by it. I, I think everyone was surprised by it, and I was slightly confused by it. I, I thought, mm, do we really need... Well, you know, obviously it's nice to have another player around, but is he really going to get game time? But he's got game time. He's scoring goals um, at a time when our first choice striker isn't so it yeah it's proved to be a really nice decision and and even if you know it's only for these cup games which it hasn't been you know he's he's been playing premier league games as well um and you know who knows maybe olympiacos would have turned out different if he'd started that game as well um this has proved to be so far a really really nice decision um and a really good one and and yeah, I I always um, I always felt that maybe he was just slightly below Arsenal's level, but um, starting to maybe change my mind on that. I think I tweeted something earlier, you know, and I know we had this conversation already about um, the amount of money clubs in the top six have wasted on backup strikers in the last few years. And even if Inketia could do that, that, that would represent really good value for us for a couple of seasons. But um, yeah, I, I mean, at the moment he should, he should start on Saturday. Right. And that's, that's all you can ask. That's all you can ask of Eddie Inketia. The day that decision was made to keep him here. If someone had told you six weeks later, 
that he'd be in line to start a third consecutive Premier League game and totally deserve it, you'd have taken that. Oh, yeah. You know, you know the problem for me, Tim, is that ultimately, like, I would give anything to get one look in a real game with the real team around him at Martinelli at center forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Nelson was the star of this match, and there were other players that shined. I still think Martinelli jumps off the screen or off the pitch if you're physically there. Um, yep. It, there's something explosive and eye-catching about what he does, and, and he influences the game in a few key moments. And there was you don't hear the commentator, lucky for you, <laughs> um, but there was a moment where he, he headed the ball just over. He didn't wasn't able to get to yes. it. And, and the commentators were sort of saying that it was like a miss on his part or he, he didn't make the right contact. But if you watch that, the burst he shows... It was an insanely to, yes, hard chance, actually. Very hard. Whip to a spot. And the, the burst Martinelli shows and the intelligence to know where that ball is going and get between two bigger defenders, you know, two bigger League One brutes, and get to the edge of the, the six-yard box to even get his head to that... That is striker mentality right there. So do you do you agree that he still sort of flashes that brilliance every time he's on the pitch and that, gosh, it'd be fun to see him play striker at some point? Yeah, yeah. And I think what he does off the ball as well. I mean, maybe he hasn't quite got the kind of the back-to-play link and all of that. But, you know, you don't have to have that in a, in a striker. You you can do it other ways. Um, I, 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 defi- I think that's his future. He, he beat a guy it, on the byline like he was like he wasn't even there, right? Remember that? Yeah, he just, just went right by him. And the, and there was a point the in the back second to half. Encadia, wasn't yep. it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a point in the second half where he just um, I don't know someone something really lit a fire under his ass, and he was just running around and you know he's pulling out some tricks as well. Do, do you know what he, I I've said before that uh, he reminds me of Luis Suarez just just in terms of his his style, and I don't know if you remember when Tenacity. Suarez first mm-hmm. went to yeah yeah, and when Suarez first went to Liverpool, he was playing slightly wide of Sturridge, and then eventually. Um, I think Brendan Rodgers thought, no, we got to put this guy through the centre. Um, I think I think you reach a critical mass with players like that sometimes, and you think, no, this guy's got to go through the middle. I, I definitely think that's Martinelli's future. Yes, and uh, yeah, I'd I'd be up for seeing that. I'd definitely be up for seeing that. It w- it would mean Arteta slightly changing the the kind of the structure and the intent of the front line. But um, I'd, I you know I don't. I don't think that that's an absolute no-no. Mm. I um, I still think Ndusi has a very high ceiling, and I, I believed in him since he arrived, and I still believe in him. I have never been more certain a player is just going to make it, period, at our level and then beyond, like I am with Martinelli. Like, it's not even... Mm. Barring some massive injury... I can't believe I just put that out in the world. Using my superpower for bad there. Um, There is... There's just no way I can see anything but the sky being the limit for him. It just the talent is too obvious. Um, so how about this? How about I give you a fun sort of a fun question to, to wrap up with? Paul, start with you. Where would a team of all of our kids next season finish in the Premier League? So all right, you can have Leno in goal because I don't think Martinez is any good and he's not a kid anyway. Um, but you'd have let's say you know Maitland Niles at right back. Call it. Like, could you can you count Saliba? And holding, or Chambers and holding, or you know whoever you want to throw in there. I'm who's... taking Saliba. All right, Saliba and holding. Uh, uh, Saka, I guess, would be your left back. Your midfield would be Ginduzi, uh, Willock, and Smith Rowe. Your front three would be um, Martinelli and Kedia and Nelson. I mean, could could that team stay up? Stay up, yeah. Um... You, think, you think that's a mid-table team? Yeah, I mean, uh, Arteta would have the summer to work with them to try and do a BL. So, I mean, if you look at the Leeds team who gave us so much trouble, they were basically less talented, but that age profile and experience profile, maybe they're a little older, uh, but not a huge amount in it. Um, and, yeah, it took Bielsa maybe two years to get them to that level, but they nearly got up last year as well. So I think, uh, I mean... We'd probably struggle as the season went on and the grind of the league kicked on. I think in terms of its overall level, it would be probably mid-table or just below mid-table. The grind of the Premier League, it being their first uh, true campaign, you know, relying on their own uh, 
experience and energies that might be more the issue rather than their ability and their level just the grind of a a full season um even with depth you know it's a grind to do 38 games and multiple competitions that's that's the thing i think that would hurt them the most but i think ability wise and level of play uh, in a run of games i think they'd be They'd have games where they looked absolutely excellent, uh, but on the average, maybe, you know, mid-table, a little bit below mid-table. You agree, Tim? That'd be my take. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think in a one-off game, they could hit a really high level, but yeah. I I mean, we saw this with the very you know when Wenger kind of first did the uh, the project youth thing and that that was a supremely talented team and some weeks it just took teams apart and then some weeks it went away to Blackburn Newcastle and got roughed up and and couldn't quite do it and and I think that's just what you'd get with a young team so uh, yeah I completely agree with Paul it'd probably be mid table but um not so much because of the ceiling but but because of the grind that Paul describes yeah, and I mean, yeah, to, to I be think fair, the one we're, we're mid-table team, now. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one issue with the team is would be goal scoring. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm definitely an Eddie believer, but he's not ready to take the team goal scoring wise for a full season. No. Um, you would need, you know, if it's that team plus Aubameyang, and Aubameyang doesn't have to play every game, but <clears throat> you kind of need Eddie rotated with one other really good goal scorer. Uh, if Martinelli's ready, great, but that's that could be a stretch even with those two. Um, I, I'm still pretty high on Enkadia. I think he, I, I think the coverage of his time of Le- at Leeds uh, is a little misleading. I think he was actually very good there in the minutes he got there. I think it's done him a lot of good, and I think he's starting to show his stuff. He's get he's looking more competent in each game, but he's not ready for a season carrying the burden of the goals scoring. Uh, for Arsenal, that's that's the one flaw in that team being a mid-table team. Not because he's not good enough. It's just that's whatever about the grind of the league. The the grind of being the guy responsible for getting the goals. Uh, he he's going to need some serious help there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Tim, it's it's pretty remarkable to to think that we could put eleven kids on the pitch and and be a Premier League side. I mean that. It shows, you know, it's weird, right? In a way, I feel like we are blessed with tremendous depth of decent academy talent when really what you'd almost rather have is like three superstars or two superstars. Now, to be fair, we might have a combination of both because because Saka is a superstar, no question. Martinelli, not an academy kid, but looks like a superstar. You know, I think Ganduzi has a high ceiling. So, But can can you remember as deep a crop of players with as much likelihood of making it at a high level as what we have right now and let me ask you this how much of it is that we have more than we've had in the past and how much of it is the level at arsenal has just dropped making a path to playing time available to these players like is it that the crop is that good or is it that the circumstances at arsenal have have made the path to first team football easier um it's kind of a a a perfect storm from an imperfect storm. I think, I think it's a bit of both. I think, I think it is a good crop. Um, but I also think that Arsenal have, have been run so badly for the last few years that we came to this stage where we had to rely on these guys, um, through financial necessity because we kept letting players go for free or dishing out ridiculous contracts. So I, you know, I'd be interested Let's say that um, we'd sold Ramsey for like 50 million the year before his contract came up. Let's say we sell Chesney for more than like a bag of M&Ms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, you know, how much how much game time would these guys be getting? Would would we still be going? No, no, this is a really good crop. Let's get them through. Or would we have spent the money elsewhere? My, My view is they should for reasons I've stated many times about academy players you know, making real sense as you as for filling out your squad, but um, but also <laughs> maybe six, seven years ago, maybe not even that long ago, the academy was run really badly, and you know the academy team got relegated, and um, and you know like the, the actual competition isn't the important thing at that level, but but standards really slipped there, and so you know there had to be an, a, a review um, of what was happening. Um, 
and, and and I don't know how much that's responsible for this crop as well, but it's it's kind of I think I think in short it's it's like a mixture of two. It's because we're short on money um, and we have to make some decisions and tighten the belt. But I do think it's it's quite a decent quite a decent crop of players. But then again, like again like a few years ago when you look at when i used to go and watch the reserves in about 2012 uh bellerin and ganabri played in that team uh together with tuba Atpom up front um and you know if it, it it often depends when these players come through um as well you know like if nicholas bentner was a couple of years older um, I, I think he'd have had a very different Arsenal career. I think he just came through at a time when we had Robin Van Persie. Whereas if he was, you know, um, sorry, a couple of years younger mm. and it had come through in the Giroud era, I think he might have got more joy. So You know it, the problem, though? There was still, it there's just, just depends. so many beautiful, sexy taxis in London, you know, to, <laughs> to have sex with. If you don't know what well, I'm talking yeah, about, you yeah. look it up. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I had to sneak it. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe don't Google it at work though. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was hailing so, uh, the taxi. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's a mixture of those things really, and and I think we'll be able to tell the quality of this particular crop in a couple of years. Let's let's see who's still here um, in a couple of years. I think that will tell us a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we leave it there. It, it was a fun day for the kids to to show us what they're all about. And I, I think we are starting to really get a clearer picture of who's legit from this crop and, and maybe some of our preconceived biases being tested and challenged a little bit, which is always a good thing. And we'll see if this has an impact on the, the team that um, Arteta selects with Manchester City away potentially being moved to midweek next week between the West Ham and Brighton games. Um you know, there's going to be need for rotation. And so, you know, some of these kids are going to probably be in line to play at the weekend against West Ham, you would think, with an eye towards Arteta definitely wanting to impress Pep Guardiola at City. So we'll see how that goes. In any event, uh, we'll leave it there. Hey, I would ask, if you'd like to sign up for Patreon, we'd love to have you. We continue to try to do fun and interesting things uh, on the on the Patreon side, and we'll continue to have more. The one good news about not having Thursday football um, every week now for the rest of the season is we can concentrate on uh, more experimental pods and, and more different types of creative projects to work on. So uh, that is definitely not what we wanted. We wanted more Thursday football, but, you know, we'll take more podcasts. In any event, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Clive will be on a Patreon pod this week that we're doing probably Wednesday. So uh, That's tomorrow, isn't it? Probably Thursday. You know what? Probably a day that ends in Y. Uh, but you know what? In the meantime, leave us five-star review if you uh, could be so kind and, and write nasty things about Clive. I know none of you will. You'll just complain to me after this publishes. Where's Clive? No Clive, no party. You know what? I get it. But this is what we had for you, and I hope you enjoyed it. So in any event, uh, we'll leave it there, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. West Ham. Hill.